Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Huddle. Elliot Danker, Barati Jagdish and Ryan Huang with you. This next conversation on why it matters, ooh, it is a bit of a sensitive one, isn't it? Yes, in a sense, yet it is a conversation that needs to be had because it goes to the pragmatic mm. Tenets of mm. this country, what we need to do in order to survive and stay competitive as a small island nation. This has been on the radar for many years already. Singapore's competitiveness as a global business hub, especially since we have started looking towards recovery from COVID-19. And this was something that Prime Minister Lee Hsien Lung addressed at the National Day Rally. A large portion of his speech revolved around this issue. So we've faced many challenges over the last almost two years. But we've continued to be resilient, attracting investments from global MNCs like Google, Zoom, BioNTech and more. But facing a talent shortage in key industries like tech, companies have traditionally relied on skilled individuals from overseas to fill this mismatch. Mm, yes, but then, as PM Lee highlighted, this has resulted in more Singaporeans expressing concerns over intensifying competition from work pass holders. So the government is set to progressively tighten EP and S-pass criteria in time to come. And the question is, I mean, how, how is this going to impact Singapore's competitiveness and can you really get that quota right? On the line with us this morning is Tony Lowe, partner at Hydric and Struggle Singapore office. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, Elliot. Thanks a lot for taking the time. Let's start off with the announcement at the National Day Rally. Prime Minister Lee Hsien Long talking about how the EP S-Pass criteria will be tightened over time. Could you walk us through the entire work pass system just to, just to get that foundation of this conversation done right? Well, certainly. There are basically three tiers in the work pass system. There's the work permit tier, which basically consists of your construction workers, foreign domestic workers. There's also the mid-tier, which is really your S-pass, which really looks at the middle of the workforce. And finally, what we call the employment pass tier, which effectively look at managers, executives, and generally um, leaders of multinationals or firms based here in Singapore. Now, Tony, we've seen tweaks to the pass system, the work pass system in Singapore over the last few years. What are the current criteria? I mean, just refresh that for us. Because we've seen so many tweaks, some people may not be entirely clear about what the situation is like, like right now. And what changes mm. can we expect to happen in the near future? We have been warned it will progressively be changed. <laughs> well, there are basically different criteria at different levels and for different sectors. For instance, at the work permit level, you have criteria like the quota system and also the levy system. And the quota does differ at the work permit level for different sectors. For instance, in the construction sector, where you possibly need more foreign workers, the quotas are higher, and uh, as compared to, say, the services or manufacturing sectors. And actually, for the middle and the higher level work pass framework, you do see different levels of criteria. And as you go up progressively, the criteria become looser. Because in general, as a business hub, we want to be open to foreigners coming here to work. 
In terms of looking forward, it is still unclear on how the various criteria might be tightened. There are some discussions around a point-based system, but it's still unclear around what kind of point-based system could be relevant here. There's also a discussion around, I think, implementing quota systems for the higher-level passes. I suppose, Tony, that takes us to the conversation and and we'd really like to hear from you on perhaps what you're hearing on the ground or any surveys conducted in that sense. Uh, What's the concern now in terms of what Singaporeans are seeing as the potential impact to the local workforce? Well, Elliot, there are mainly two key considerations, cost and competitiveness, and they are quite different. Businesses are understandably quite worried about cost. For instance, what was already announced at the National Day Rally of increasing the local qualifying salary to $1,004 per month will very likely lead to increase in costs and potentially prices. But wages and costs are basically two sides of the same coin. One man's cost is another man's wages. And in general, as the PM has already highlighted, to build an inclusive society, we need to bring everyone along. And everyone needs to bear part of the burden in the increase in cost. Government, businesses, and the local consumer to pay for the higher cost. So the watch out here really is, Elliot, that there should be a commensurate increase in productivity. So we continue to add a value to the economy. As for competitiveness, I think the larger question being discussed here and the larger concern is around our competitiveness. Mm. As you know, almost half of our economy are export-driven and tradable sectors companies and they compete on the world stage. The question really on our mind is will the tightening of the EP and SPAS criteria erode the ability of the companies here to get the best people and build the best teams? Mm. I think the fear has been that there is discrimination at the workplace. So it's not necessarily always about building the best workers and the best teams, that there has been inordinate amount of discrimination against Singaporean workers in favour of foreign staff of these companies who come in from overseas offices. But right now we're seeing greater protection for Singaporean workers, enshrining the TAFEP guidelines into legislation to deal with workplace discrimination. Also, the question of wages, if we bring this back to the worker, right? It's about having competitive wages, yet not depressing Singaporeans' rice bowls. How to strike that balance? Well, part of it is legislation. Although legislation cannot be the whole answer, I think a big part of it has to be around culture and mindset of not just the employers, but also the workforce. Wages rise according to productivity and value add. That's That's something that we're quite sure of. The question is, how do we have companies continue to value add globally and compete globally? And for that to happen, they need the most talented teams. And um, the general direction to build a strong Singaporean core through the Skills Future Movement to make sure that Singaporeans have the requisite skills and expertise to compete. And complemented, I think, by very flexible innovative work pass schemes, for instance, the recent tech past, which allow foreigners with specific technical expertise and leaders in the technology fields to then come in and complement the Singaporean core. I think it's directionally sound to ensure that our workforce is skilled. But overall, I think it is the attitude and mindset to want to have, I think, teams and the workforce coming from different parts of the world. I think ultimately, we cannot run away from the fact that we are 
serving the global business businesses and global consumer. This does mean that we need diverse workforce and global firms do not look to build a homogeneous workforce and they do come to Singapore to actually tap I think the workforce of the region and in fact globally. Mm. Here's the thing, Tony, we have to also mm. consider now the greater openness to hire remote workers across borders, right? But I understand there are legal considerations in that regard. What, if any, are the protections for the local workforce in this context? I'm not sure that in this case, protection is probably not I think the way to go or the mindset that we should have, I think really it should be about ensuring that Singaporean worker is competitive in terms of competing with workforce from remote offshore locations. I think technology is going to make that much more real today. And the Singaporean workers will have to be able to, I think, value add. So I think it is really about ensuring that we have the skills to compete. Mm. Actually, Barty's inspired me a lot on this next question, Tony, and do pardon me if it puts you on the spot a bit. Is there an underappreciation for certain aspects of our education system? For example, in our time, uh, NITEC and higher NITEC, now it's ITE. I mean, is there an underappreciation for this sector, this sort of skill sets? Because we put a lot of emphasis on your global firms or your digital talent and, and, and areas like that. What's your opinion of this? I think... The underappreciation is perhaps less of the different levels of education, but more the different type of jobs, right? right? And, and part of it, I think, is also how the, the nation was born and how our education system was, I think, in a way, designed. Um, and it shapes certain perception of jobs. And I think, really, we have to start to shift from the distinction between blue-collar and white-collar and really look at, I think, um, skills and skills in jobs and the recognition that actually there is professionalism in different levels of jobs that requires different levels of skills. And and really, there's no distinction between jobs, but just different types of jobs that requires different types of skills. And I think that's where we should start the sort of perception or mindset shift. Mm. And that will certainly attract more Singaporeans to certain sectors that are not seeing much interest from Singaporeans. But also, I think this other point needs to be addressed. This is something that Finance Minister Lawrence Mm. Wong brought up in Parliament last week. He said that, number one, when Singapore reduces the jobs of foreign professionals, managers, executives and technicians, we have to bear in mind they will not automatically go to Singaporeans. And this goes to the point that you mentioned earlier. If we don't have the requisite skills, of course, you know, you don't expect it to come to Singaporeans, even if we reduce the number of foreign professionals in this country. The other thing that Mr. Wong said was that there are simply not enough Singaporeans to support the needs of the economy. Aging population, sure, but the fact that we're seeing unemployment and underemployment, doesn't that indicate that the lack of relevant skills is still a major factor in spite of the fact that the government has been progressively and aggressively addressing this issue in the last few years? So it goes to the point you made about augmenting ourselves and our skills as a workforce. That's a really good question. And, and, and really, there are two key points here. Training, skilling, is a relatively mid-to-long-term challenge, whereas filling a role is a relatively short-term challenge. And it is actually straddling that training 
a straddling between this short, long-term tension that makes it difficult for us to have immediately skilled Singaporeans to fill the jobs, right? And, and therefore, to have that flexibility and that uh, agility, you do therefore have a very flexible foreign work pass framework that allow foreigners to come in to plug the short-term gap. And hence, I do talk about the two-prong strategy around the skills future movement to quick train and really look at short-term industry-relevant type of training to quickly upskill Singaporeans to actually try to solve this tension between the short and long term that we talk about. And the other thing that you talk about in terms of underemployment, it does tie into the point I make, isn't it, about perception of jobs. And underemployment does imply that certain jobs does not fully, I think, realize the potential of an individual. Well, that could be a certain loss to the economy. But we do need to take into account that actually if the individual is doing a job that he likes, he wants, and is a certain phase of his career, is there something wrong with that? Maybe Mm -hmm. it's a transition, right? And we like to think that the labor market is one homogeneous market and with no, I guess, that is fluid. Um, The truth is there needs time for transition, there needs time for upskilling. So for as long as there are actually upskilling opportunities and access to individuals who want to take up the challenge of upskilling themselves and to better jobs with higher wages. I think we have to make sure that they are there. And and I think for right now, I think um, there there are opportunities and a lot of concerted effort and resources put against that. Mm. It's a matter of having choices, isn't it? And actually, I just wanted to ask you about this too. Another issue that is often debated, it's a very contentious issue, is how top CEOs and C-suite members of MNCs who have headquarters in Singapore they're often expatriates. So a lot of people will ask on social media, hey, why is it like this, right? Are there no Singaporeans who can do this job? I'm pretty sure there are. So that's usually the exchange you'll see on social media when accompanied by these headlines. What is the problem here? How can we ensure that Singaporeans succeed and thrive at the very top of the corporate ladder? <laughs> so I guess this is an issue of numbers to your point around Minister Wong's point on numbers. Do we have Singaporean leaders at the top? I think for sure we do. I guess the more useful question to ask is how can we have more? And many of our Singaporean leaders are not just in MNCs, but also in GLCs, government-linked companies or thematic-linked companies, and also in the government and doing a great job, right? The question is really that of numbers, and we have a limited pool of Singaporeans and even more limited pool of them at the top. How can we have more? Now, on this this really really is about, I think, an issue of mindset and I guess culture of wanting to excel in the corporate sector. And I think part of it is, I guess, improving access to opportunities as well. Maybe I can use a sporting analogy of competing at the Olympics. Um, How can we get our unfair share of Olympic Olympians medalists, given the small numbers of Singaporeans that we have. It is about picking the right talent at a very young, early age. It is about having a structure and a culture of excellence and wanting to succeed at the worst stage. And it's also about, I think, access to coaches, mentors who's been there and to plant that dream in a young Singaporean in wanting to succeed on the Olympic stage. And in many ways, I think wanting to succeed 
in a global firm is something perhaps that we need to sort of imbue more and more into our young Singaporeans' mind. We've been speaking with Tony Lowe, partner at Hydric and Struggle Singapore office. Tony, we appreciate your time this morning. Take care and stay safe. Thanks for having me. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.